Hello and welcome once again to another episode of In Orbit, the podcast exploring how technology from space is empowering a better world. Brought to you by the satellite applications Catapult. I'm your host, Dallas Campbell, and in this series, we'll be in conversation with some of the finest minds in the country, exploring the ways that the UK is using space to make huge differences to our everyday lives, as well as gaining a better understanding of its role in shaping and sustaining our planet for the future. In today's episode, we will be discussing in-space manufacturing and talking to some of the companies who are at the forefront of this new space race. I'm joined in the studio by David Pyle, who's the Regional Director at Northrop Grumman Space Systems, Portia Bowman, Director at Grobotics Space, and Alex Goodhand, Manufacturing Engineer at the Satellite Applications Catapult. Now, the future of commercial space is increasingly dependent on our ability to build and to assemble large structures entirely outside of the Earth's atmosphere. From emission-free solar power stations to spacecraft capable of traveling beyond our solar system. All of this and more will be directly affected by how we manufacture in space. The commercial space race is well underway, but in the next few years, things are going to get a lot more exciting. Welcome, David. Welcome, Portia. Welcome, Alex. Thanks for coming into the studio. Nice to be here. Thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, listen, what are we even talking about today? Is there an acronym for this yet for in-orbit in space manufacturing? What do, we, what do you guys like to call it? There's a couple of different acronyms. There? There's in-orbit servicing and manufacturing, IOSM. Um, there's OSAM, which is on-orbit servicing, assembly and manufacturing. <laughs> I knew it. I wanted to clear this up from the beginning. Where, the, yes. Any others? Uh, I, I think with it being in the UK, we'll stick to uh, IOSM. Maybe, yeah. we're, maybe we should just officially call it that now forever. IOSM. IOSM it is. So there we go. Okay. So let's break that this. down. So IO, in orbit, that makes sense. Servicing and manufacturing. Well, I mean, I think about servicing. I think about fixing the Hubble Space Telescope, for example, or doing stuff on the International Space Station. But presumably the areas that you're all involved on, it, it's going to take this a lot further. So actually, let's talk with David first from Northrop Grumman. From your point of view, what, what do you mean by IOSM? So we've taken a, a sort of a route that servicing is about. So traditionally, you'd launch a satellite into space. You would never see it again. It would do its job. And at some it. point, it would run out of fuel. Yeah. So our take on servicing, certainly to start with, is how can we make those satellites last longer, be more sustainable to have them lasting longer? Because electronics tend to work longer, but the fuel runs out. So servicing to us at this stage yeah. is adding more fuel. Basically putting a petrol station in in orbit. We've gone maybe. almost one step before that. We've, we've, we're doing jetpacks. So our mission extension yes. vehicle is <laughs> Finally, <a> someone's <laughs> doing jetpacks. We're doing a jetpack for satellites. I knew Northrop Grumman always did, <laughs> did cool stuff. When I think of Northrop Grumman, I always think of all the kind of a cool Apollo hardware that you, that you built way back when. Absolutely, yeah. So you're doing funky jetpacks. Funky jetpacks. What does, it, what does a, a servicing jetpack look like? Probably not what I'm thinking. So effectively, it's another satellite. It's a satellite with a bunch of fuel on it. Right. And it's got a, um, a fancy docking mechanism. So it goes up to another satellite. We've got a bunch of different sensors which figure out how it can join onto the back of that satellite. It then docks onto the engine, which is every satellite's got one to get okay. them into orbit, and be locks on and becomes that jetpack. Okay. So we've got two of those already on orbit. 
already so, working. Oh God, so this isn't far away in the future. This no, is no. actually happening. Yep. Uh, Porsche, just tell us a little bit about your company. Um, Northrop Grumman, a lot of people will have heard of. Obviously, they're the, a sort of major player in this industry. But Grobotics, crikey, what a Grobotics, because this is a new company. Yeah, isn't it? we've been around about three months, so I'm jet surprised packs? if anyone's have you heard done, of us. Have you done a jetpack yet? <laughs> no, not looking at jetpacks. We're looking at what's the next step to more of a circular economy in space. So, as David said, satellites are limited currently right. by fuel. And um, at the moment, satellites are very single-use items, basically. So we're looking at what's next. Once you've extended the life with fuel, how is it limited? Mm. And then how can you maybe reuse or repair these satellites to to get the most out of them? Right. That's interesting. It does seem like a complete step change from how we sort of do space. I mean, I guess at the moment we are limited by the size of a fairing that goes on a rocket and what you can put in it. And that's it. I mean, something like fixing Hubble back in the 1980s was, I mean, the fact that that was such a massive deal in fixing Hubble shows that it is quite an important thing to be able to somehow simplify that and, 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 and pr prolong the life of our space hardware. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but as you say, yeah, we've done it before. We've done it with Hubble and we've done things from the space shuttle. Yeah. But it's always been with people. I've been worrying about things like the James Webb spell, uh, telescope. Like, how, how the heck do we fix that? Well, that's, that's exactly. <laughs> it's not been designed to be fixed. Yeah. The next generation of whatever comes next after JWST, James Webb Space Telescope, will be designed to be fixed. Mm. We've seen failures uh, quite early on in JWST where they've it's been hit and damaged by micrometeorites. Mm. If you could go and replace that component, then you would get a lot more out of the satellite. Mm. And there were so many issues with designing the huge structure of JWST to be able to fit in the fairing, as you, as you mentioned. Mm. Um, I don't think future space telescopes are going to be designed in the same way. Um, there's a lot, I think over 300 single points of failure that could have gone wrong in the deployment. And that's really unnecessary if you can go up there and fix it. Yeah. I, there was a really good picture of um, just before it got launched and they were putting the fuel into the JWST and they had these guys in like really crazy looking spacesuits. And I thought, yes, they're going to send people up there with it just in <laughs> case. Um, Alex, you're an engineer. The other bit of this acronym is manufacturing. What? This is the other thing. I mean, we you, you hear about astronauts on the ISS sort of 3D printing and that kind of stuff. As an engineer, what else can we be doing in orbit that we're not doing at the moment in terms of actually making things. Where are we now with what we're sort of planning and where do you think it's going to end up? I don't think we need a big step change. I think the majority of things that we can do is more of a modification rather than a reinvention. So you would take the additive manufacturing technology we currently have down here on Earth, you can then replicate that on orbit. But the difficulty is, as you were saying before, is how do you maintain this? Um, how do you actually go about manufacturing? We're used to tactile nuts and bolts. Yeah, yeah. we're going to be building with robots, not astronauts. And that's the, the part where we need to develop to bring this manufacturing in. Space robots, jetpacks. <laughs> Thunderbolts. You say so we're, we're going to be sort of manufacturing using robots. On, but on what kind of platforms? Like where are the robots? What's, what's, all, this going to, what's all this going to look like? So our next generation after the jetpack is our mission robotic vehicle, which effectively is a satellite with some big robot arms on the front. And as Alex says, you know, it's a, it's a robot that can do various things on orbit. Um, the first thing we'd be doing is fitting mini jetpacks. So we've gone from big jetpacks to mini jetpacks onto, onto satellites, but then it can start doing repairs. But it's a very different thing than having human hands to having robot hands. We're used to building up from a 2D space. 
in this point it is our imagination which is the limitation because we go on what we already know mm. so you could use the size of a capsule already as your build platform mm -hmm. whereas now what we typically use is a, a 2d plane mm. and we build from there whereas this could be a 3d structure and we can build upon this this might sound like an old question but wh why do we want to make things in orbit like just that's as a kind of a baseline like what's the point of, of doing this like what kind of things are we going to be making and why why don't we just make stuff on Earth? So in terms of structure, you can take the raw materials up and build structures that we would not be able to launch. So in just terms of geometry rather than mass, I think that is a big saver in what we can manufacture. So we can launch stuff that's much bigger. Well, we can build stuff that's much bigger than we can launch. Right. Um, but also is not constrained by gravity. And I, I suppose, okay, well, something like the International Space Station, for example, that was built in orbit i suppose it was but it was you're limited still limited by the in terms of your module size by the size of your rocket fairing yes. so yeah yeah and and also we can we can start building things on orbit which they don't have to survive the the launch environment in the same way um, okay. so for manufacturing things already on orbit you know at the moment we design things that have to go through quite a challenging environment as they're launched and they're rattled and the noise and all of those things which we can get away from it's a bit like an ikea flat pack so they are optimised for transportation and storage. Mm -hmm. It's a bit like that. We would launch a subset of components and then assemble it in, in space. Crikey. That's one thing in terms of launching things like platforms and building stuff. But what about stuff that's, that's going to affect people here on Earth? Like what, why are we going to be manufacturing? I mean, I, th I think of things like we, we hear things like medicines and new kinds of materials and, and that kind of stuff. What is the benefit of being in orbit, free of gravity? So a lot of this, there's some, you know, these are the things that we're really trying, I think, all to figure out. But yeah, when you're in microgravity or no gravity, you can start building things in a different way. So instead of, we did a, uh, something recently with, with one of the universities and we were looking at potentially 3D printing things. Well, if you 3D print on Earth, every time you, you get a little piece of that plastic comes out, it falls to the ground. Mm whereas it doesn't on orbit. So you can print things in a very different way. You don't need to support them as they're being built because they just float. That's interesting. And also the other thing that people talk about are things like new materials as well, actually new alloys and such. And I, I've always been a little bit confused about why alloys made in space or made in orbit so, are going to be sort of better than on Earth. Yeah, if you think back to GCSE science, you have your... Uh, There's a long time. <laughs> so you put your melt an iron ore into this crucible yeah and you get your different sedimentation with this that's due to gravity whereas you don't have this so you can put your materials together and you can have a, essentially a perfect suspension and then you create your alloy that way wow that's interesting and so the idea is you you, you can build these alloys and, and these materials and then, then bring them back down to earth if you want yeah, I think then, one of the things that's been really successful is um, fibre optics on the International Space Station. That has, has been proved that you can get much purer fibre optic cable mm. building on the space station. Mm. Obviously, costs a little bit more than building on that. <laughs> well, that's but, the thing. Yeah, I mean, is, is, so where are we with the sort of cost of all this? I mean, you know, there, there seem to be all these new companies starting up, like, like your company, Porsche. Like what's, you know, you, you've only been going for a few months. Where is the sort of scope of your vision at the moment where in terms of what you want to be doing and 
Yeah, well, great question. So a lot of what we've just been talking about is manufacturing for use on Earth. Mm. But there's making everything we do in space much more sustainable. So space really impacts our daily lives. We've got Earth observation satellites that you know help us locate forest fires. We've got GPS satellites telling us exactly where we are at all times. All of these applications rely on space hardware mm. and it's about how can we do that more sustainably. Mm -hmm. So we reduce the need for a number of launches. We can reuse components and platforms and we can make sure that space is safe for future generations to continue getting as much use of it out of it as we are mm. by preventing basically us creating more space debris by launching these satellites and then kind of leaving them there. Space debris, that's one of those topics that just keeps coming up all the time. And does this sort of factor into this particular conversation, the idea of sort of cleaning up space and making it safer, making it more sustainable? Yeah, massively. What we're trying to do is prevent more space debris um, from being made. And part of it is is cleaning up after ourselves. Yeah. So can we go and dock with a spacecraft that's been, you know, not functioning for, for a number of years and salvage those components as you might in a scrapyard, and make it into something better. In terms of a kind of business model, it has that kind of gold rush kind of feel about it. Is this the next big thing, the idea of manufacturing and building in, in space, do you think? Or is it still a little bit far away? I, th I think it depends on how you measure timelines. Mm. So it's not, it's not going to happen next week. But equally, you know, people are already doing it. So, yeah, it is starting. And I think when there are some big breakthroughs, then suddenly it may accelerate. Yeah. Um, but it's, yeah, I, yeah, it's, it's not next week. Yeah. Okay. But we're very close. <laughs> I think this technology is fundamental to everything we do in space. IOSM is servicing assets. It's the infrastructure that we have on earth. It's the petrol stations that you go to or the garage that you've got on the, to fix your car. It's making that in space. And so space is not going to be a separate industry to everything we do on earth all of the industries will expand to include space elements. So we're really, I think we're really at the beginning of a space gold rush. It does seem like, we, you know, we do have to completely rethink the way we do things. I mean, I, we mentioned Apollo earlier early on, the idea of going somewhere in a rocket and then just burning up your rocket at the end of it. And there's that analogy, it's a bit like flying to New York and your 777 and then setting fire to the 777 at the end. It seems a bit, we need to be rethinking how we do things. We do, um, but as a society, do we? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, but that's definitely something that we it is trying to be pushed in this sector. Yeah. The fact that I think if we go down the route of it, if we can make it cheaper to do it that way, there's definitely an incentive there for companies to go down that route. If you can recapture and recycle the materials and components that are already up there, yeah, I think that way we can. Presumably, push on. it all comes down to cost. This is a way of bringing bringing costs down in order in order to be able to do things. Yeah, instead of launching an, a new satellite to geostationary orbit, yeah. which costs millions, you might then only need to launch a new payload or a new component, which would be, you know, a fraction of the price. Yeah. And the reason, so we've been doing jetpacks to start with, because there hasn't been that, as Portia mentioned, sort of the fuel station model. Yeah, you know, every car has a standard interface to put your fuel in. Mm. That's not what we've done on satellites so far, but we need to do that. So every satellite that goes up has a, a standard fueling interface, uh, maybe a USB where you can do the electronic updates. Um, and is that going to be a that. standard thing? Is, is there going to be kind of legislation in place where it's like, well, if you're going to build a satellite, you have to build in 
stuff like that that where it can be fixed and and it's not just going to be a one-off or yeah or is it, that is, a political it, question? it is a definitely a political question it's really hard to develop standards because every every company wants their own standards yeah. to win yeah yeah and where where so where who who is going to win like how's that going to sort of solve itself do you think um, well, I think, I mean, we've been pushing from Northrop Grumman for, for open standards. Yeah. Um, because, you know, to us, although, you know, we've done some satellite servicing, we want to open up the market. Um, so we've developed a, a standard which we've freely published. But I, th I think there's room in the market for several standards, I'm sure. But it's not about being proprietary. Yeah, we've seen things like, you know, USB is not a, a proprietary standard. And it's developed a whole market. Yeah, everybody's got USB on. That's what we need to do for space. I want to talk a little bit about, okay, so obviously there are benefits for high-tech things, uh, materials, medicines is the other manufacturing thing we talk about, semiconductors, all kinds of things, and you mentioned um, uh, fibre optic cables. What about exploration? If we want to go back to the moon, well, we are going back to the moon, apparently, or onto Mars, is in-space manufacturing the way that we're going to be able to solve the numerous problems that lie in wait for us yes absolutely whether or not we have humans as well as as robots there's always going to be these problems of building structures that you can't necessarily launch it takes an awful lot to get humans to the moon or to mars mm. um you know some of the biggest rockets ever that will be using to do that it's really really important that we provide them with everything that they need and manufacturing and assembly is part of that one of the things that i think is interesting to look at is how you can change these tools that we send with the robots or with the humans. How do you mean change the tools? It's kind of like an, an ad adventure. So if you were going to the poles, you know, before there was high-tech equipment to do that, you want to take stuff with you, but it has to be light. You have to be able to carry it. Mm. You know, anything extra that you take is going gonna, is gonna to weigh you down. It's pretty much the same with space. So it has to be flexible and interchangeable and have as many uses as possible. Mm. Um, but also everything that you're using the tools with have to be designed to be used with the tools. It's like having a, a, a screwdriver. You can go down to a screw fix or wherever and you can buy screws that fit in your one or two of your screwdrivers. You know, it's it's standardized. You can get it from anywhere. That's what it's important for us to us to be looking at. And as a as an engineer, and you mentioned this a little bit earlier on, but in terms of the, the skills, the way that we do engineering, how is engineering going to have to change if we, if we are going to be doing it in orbit? Or can we just wholesale take what we know about engineering on Earth and just stick it in space? I think mostly we can go down that route. I think one of the worst scenarios we can go down is this is the way it's always been done, therefore this is the way we carry on. I think That's that how has engineers to work as far as... That, that has yeah. to change. Um, so as Porsche was saying... End effectors on robotic arms, so yeah. the tools that you have on the end. Um, you can swap this out for cameras, grippers, printing heads. Mm -hmm. So you can take this one tool, which can be our arm and hand, wherever this may be, and then you can use the material which you have at hand to manufacture, whether that's what you take with you or regolith, for example, on the moon. Uh, some of the stuff they do with regular is amazing. I noticed, I saw it was Blue Origin, I think, last or this this week or last week. They're like, oh, yeah, we've made a solar panel out of lunar regolith. And I'm like, that's really? Did they do that? 
Or did I dream that? No, well, that's... I mean, I mean that, that to me is just like mind-boggling. Absolutely. And, and that's, you know, when we go to the moon and eventually to Mars, you know, we've got to use the resources that are there. Yeah. Um, so we've got to practice that and figure out how we're going to do it um, because we, we certainly can't launch it all from Earth. Um, no. So it's, I mean, that's a, it's a huge emerging area. It seems like a really odd thing. It's like, you know, lunar regolith is just, well, it's just some dirt. And it's like the fact that you can actually make a, a solar panel out of it. Like I know they, you know, you can use things like centering in order to make building blocks out of lunar regolith. But actually it's like, oh my God, we can make solar panels. It's very impressive. It is very impressive. Um, yeah. But another thing what you can use your moon for is the, the fuel station we were talking about earlier. You can take this material and then take it onto Mars if this is what you wish to do. Um, because it's just easier to launch from from the moon than it is from here. Let's talk about going back to the moon. I know Northrop Grumman, when I think of your company, your company, David, belongs to you. I think I think of the moon. Are you guys involved in, in Artemis in terms of building things and, and within the idea of in-space manufacturing, what's, what, what are you doing at the moment that's part of that? Yeah, so absolutely. So at the moment, we're building the the HALO module, the Habitat and Logistics uh, module for the space station around the moon. Right. Um, and we're involved in the in the competitive process with NASA for the lunar lander and for the lunar rover. So yeah, I mean, we've got a big team working on the on the lunar economy. With our satellite servicing, everything we do for the moon is push for saying, yeah, we need to design it to be serviceable uh, and to be flexible and to be sustainable. Yeah. Um, so we've yeah, I mean, we've, as you mentioned, we, uh, we've been doing moon stuff for quite a while uh, and we continue to do that, which is great. I suppose that's the thing. I mean, when we think about Apollo, it just there was nothing built into it to be sustainable at all. And people always say, well, why did Apollo end? It's like, well, <laughs> that's kind of why. So I guess when we talk about, you know, the new space economy, this is really fundamental, isn't it? That we can make things that can be fixed and built. And I still find it bizarre that there's a the talk of lunar economy. Um, it's... It, I'm, my head is not past this this world yet. Let no, on to the moon. No, exactly. Um, yeah. 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 Yeah, but it's really important that, that we build it sustainably. We've already reached a debris threshold in LEO in low Earth orbit where if we don't launch anything else, the n amount of debris will continue to increase, mm. which is terrifying because it could mean that we can't go to space at all. I don't think people quite realise the problem. It's a bit like climate change. We've kind of got our heads in the sand. We sort of know it exists and people talk about, oh, well, you know, Leo's a bit full of junk. But actually, it could really get bad if yeah. we don't do stuff about it. It already is. We have to start cleaning it up and preventing it from happening. No longer can we launch without considering, you know, how do we manage the end of life of satellites. Yeah. And there's, there's quite a lot of interesting ideas about cleaning them up. I, you know, you read about sort of space nets and javelins that fire into bits and huge vacuum cleaners and things. Are, you, are any of you involved in, in those sorts of those sorts of ideas? Well, certainly with our some mission robotic vehicle could clean up debris. Mm. And it's certainly a mission we are considering. But coming back to the business model, that's where it becomes a challenge. When it comes down to it, who's going to actually do the the payment to, to clear up space? You know, do we come up with some sort of tax that you know, when you launch one satellite, you've got to bring two pieces of debris down or, or some sort of yeah. model like that? And it's how we, we come up with that as a spacefaring world, I guess. Yeah. And presumably, low Earth orbit is just getting increasingly busy with, with stuff. We seem to be launching more and more things. I mean, admittedly, they're getting smaller and smaller and, and lighter and lighter, but it's getting a, a, an increasingly busy place. I mean, I always kind of think of it a, a little bit like as a, we should think of it as a continent. We should think of it a bit like sort of Antarctica or, 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 yeah. or, or, or give or it the that, oceans. or the oceans, give it that mm. level of status of, of kind of, of protection. Yeah, definitely. I think it's the awareness though, isn't it? 
it's how do you send a news reporter out to the uh, <laughs> yeah, low earth orbit to sh look at this disaster we've got on yeah, our hands yeah. it's it's showing that you can show the plastic in the ocean but you can't really show the debris it's difficult no it's and difficult. If, you, if you show someone the the representation like a simulation of what's going on on yeah. orbit it's it's just an image yeah uh, but i think now it is being taken into consideration with the product life cycle so it is your responsibility to bring that back but at the moment, as you're saying, that it's quite a big cluster already. So, how do you bring attacks in to bring something back? Is mm. yeah. I want to ask a little bit about collaboration as well, and kind of where we are in the UK with this idea of space manufacturing. Where does the UK sit? Are, are we kind of way behind the US? Is there some kind of space race? Like, what does the, what does the kind of landscape look like? And with Northrop, for example, and your company, are you working with other companies? Or is it all sort of separate? How does it all work? I certainly find within the space industry, there's a there is a lot of collaboration. You know, we we compete against each other on some things, but we we work together a lot. Mm. Yeah, certainly. You know, the US is a is a massive space market. They've been doing it for a long time. Yeah, yeah they're very big. But the UK's got some really great specialities. Um, there's a great company, um, Space Forge, down in South Wales, that are looking to do some manufacturing on orbit. Um, we're doing some work with them. And yeah, there's so many great ideas in the UK that we could really take a lead if we really want to focus on it. Yeah, we hear that a lot. Taking the lead, and then. Do we actually take the lead or, or I don't know how much of it is hot air, how much of it is PR and how much of it is sort of really happening? So the way I look at it is I kind of come from it, not from a space point of view. I look at it as a manufacturing point of view. Mm. And you look at the British manufacturing industry and it's in a very good position. And as I was saying before, we don't need a step change. We can bring mm. this in. You look at the manufacturers, we've got JCB, Rolls-Royce. We've got some very good mm. British manufacturing engineers who can be brought into this industry, but yeah. it's, you look at this and you go, oh, well, we can't get into the space industry. It's it's the space industry. It's the hallowed ground. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, actually, because Rolls-Royce, I mean, they're doing some amazing stuff. They're, certainly in terms of the moon, they're built, you know, nuclear reactors on the moon and all kinds of exciting things that they're, that they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's trying to bring more of these British companies into it. And JCB, I can imagine. <laughs> JCB we're on gonna the moon. Build it, we're going to make it yellow. <laughs> It'll be yellow and it's on the moon. That'd be, that'd be quite good. Yeah, what about, what about um, robotics? What about, are you working with other companies as well? I mean, yes, yes, you're very new, so yes. who, who else are you working with? Um, we've got a couple of collaborators so far. It's only three months old, but lots of support from, you know, a, a couple of universities and from Catapult, um, looking at, at who we can work with uh, with more in the future. Space is collaborative. You know, we're always going to be we're working together. These these projects are so ambitious that it's really important that we all collaborate, you know, for a better future, but also internationally. Yeah. You know, UK can lead in areas, for, for example, robotics. You know, we've got a lot of, of high tech that we, we can spin in from perhaps the nuclear sector. Um, but it's really important that we, you know, continue to collaborate. So we've talked a little bit about your satellite infueling stuff, a little bit about stuff you're doing for Artemis as well. Beyond that, what where do you see kind of this particular area of space in the next, I don't know, decade, say? Yeah, well, certainly for our space logistics business, the as I mentioned, the Mission Robotic Vehicle, which is the satellite with the, the robot arms on that, when we start seeing things going wrong on satellites, we can actually design things on Earth, so a, special, uh, a bracket or a replacement solar panel or whatever, we can launch that, our Mission Robotic Vehicle then goes and picks it up 
and it has a, a tool belt um, where it literally sort of slots things into its tool belt. It then goes that's off crazy. to the satellite and it fixes them. That's so great. Um, so that, I mean, that's going to become real in 2025, 2026. Really? So it's, it's being built at the moment. That's amazing. I mean, in terms of things like robotic arms, is it a step change from like the, the arm that's on the ISS at the moment? Is it... I mean, I think about this, the Canada arm that's on the ISS and what what that can do. And I think, oh, that's pretty cool. But it's still quite limited, though. It's limited in the fact that you won't have um, an end effector on there that can do 3D printing or as a very fine placement as what you can yeah. what you can possibly take up with your, two, with your tool belt. It'll be uh, quite impressive. But no, I don't think it's a massive step change. It's an iteration. It's, it's mm. enhancement is what we can mm. carry on and do. Mm. Um, and from there, we can... We can build and we can assemble, disassemble and replace. Mm, that's good. We talk a lot about how space is this great industry and, and certainly in the UK, we're sort of punching above our weight in terms of what we can do. Is there an optimism about in-space manufacturing, do you think, in terms of things like driving the economy and, and making this a, a big sh showcase for British industry? I think one of the big, you know, one of the big projects we're sort of been pushing in the UK is this solar power from space. Yeah. Uh, which is very much, that's got to be enabled by on-orbit, in-orbit assembly manufacturing. We've touched a little bit on this on this podcast before, but I'm, I'm quite keen to sort of pick up on that. Is, is that something that you think will actually happen? Or is this, you know, it depends on who you're talking to, that people are like, no, that's never going to happen. Or yes, it'll happen, but not for a hundred years. Or To my mind, yeah, I think it will happen very, very soon. I guess the scale is the question. Yeah. You, know, you can certainly do it. You can demonstrate it can work. Can we scale it to become the next big energy source for the Earth? Yeah, that's the way the question is. And that's something that would have to be built in orbit, as it were. You couldn't just... Yeah, it's, it's kilometres wide. Portia, just for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, <laughs> explain in-orbit solar panels. So the idea is... It's basically equivalent to solar panels on Earth, Yeah. except you're not limited by clouds. You can maximise the amount of solar power that you can get. You can build a kilometre-wide solar array mm -hmm. um which means you, you know you're not an you're not an eyesore you're not going to annoy people when you've put it on their their land you know we've got green belt areas you know just around the corner in oxford where there's this massive solar farm being proposed yeah if you put it in space you know it's not really going to bother anyone well you never know it might but i don't know but the, the astronomers get very cross about things like starlink because it spoils the night sky with 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 that i don't know kilometer wide arrays of solar panels yeah, we definitely have to. Like, yeah, we definitely have to consider it. But the idea, so that's the idea. So, new solar panels in space for the obvious reason. How do you get then get the energy back down to to the Earth? Unfortunately, it's not a space laser. Um, Damn it! it I know. <laughs> I, was, I know. It's how very do we how do we how do we do it uh, through microwaves? So you can the clouds are no limitation. Whereas if you sent a space laser through, um, yeah. you're going to have some limitations there because it's visible light. Just as with your engineering hat on, just explain to us how we microwave the energy down from. Oh, it's very, it's very boring. Come on. with no, no, no. Just make it entertaining. Just okay. tell us in an okay. entertaining way. So, <laughs> trying to time people shouting at the perfect timing, so you get this wave at exactly the same point. It's happening with the microwaves that are emitted from there, so you can trigger them at the right point, so they can target the rectangles we would have down here on Earth. Wait, so you collect it in space and then you microwave the energy down. So there's a collecting point. Absolutely, yes. And also, how because presumably there's spread, so how, how big is the... I think we're talking square kilometres. Um, of the retainers. receiver? Yeah. If we are moving on, this is my opinion, um, if you can replace the 
power stations that we currently have dotted around, which are no longer existence. We have the um, subsystems already there for the network grid. You remove the power plant that's there, possibly coal fire, which is what we're trying to move away from. Yeah. You replace that with the rectenna. We receive that energy and it's already there on the grid. That's amazing. Honestly, that would be... That, that's a great solution. Yeah, David, how far away is this? There are projects which are demonstrating it now. So we're delivering a project in the US um, for one of our customers, which is demonstrating, but not at this sort of scale. And the UK government funded a, a large study last year, published, I think it's on the UK government site, about a space solar power initiative. Yeah. Um, but it, again, it's coming back to the scaling it up. So yeah. what we don't want is just a little demonstrator. We want something which is actually going to tap into the grid and you know, get rid of coal or other dirty fuel sources. And is this something the UK is going to be at the forefront, do you think? It seems, it seems like it, yeah. It could be a good solution for our you know, energy crisis. Um, I don't see it happening in, in 10 years, but in 30 or 40. It's it, a bit like nuclear fusion, isn't it? Yeah. It's, like, it's always coming. <laughs> it's always coming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it does it. yeah. I mean, it, you, you're right, though, about, you know, solar panels on Earth, and, and they take up a lot of room. They take up a lot of space. Yeah. Um, space is relatively big. <laughs> yeah, but there's been sort of discussions around um, maybe countries that have more open spaces than we do, maybe desert areas where actually there's a there's a whole new economy that if you could take a piece of desert and put a big rectangle on there then suddenly a country, country's got a it's like having oil yeah. um, but suddenly they've got energy coming down from from on, on orbit in terms of that where's the money coming from how can we sort of get it started you know? That's that's always the key question, Dallas. Who's paying for this? You know, when I when I hear like government reports, I'm always slightly oh, okay. You know, because I always worry about you know when when lots of government funding goes into projects and then suddenly the government funding stops, then everything else stops. So I'm you know, do you think this is we can get the ball rolling? I suppose is my question. I think it's multiple organisations are going for it rather than just one. If it was just one, you'd be kind of sceptical. Yeah. But there are serious conversations being had across continents yeah and where are you going to be in all this alex with your engineer hat on where's i'll be in a your... dark room cowering um, with a calculator designing awesome robot arms yeah and things. it's when people come up can you just um and we want this you're saying kilometer length beam you go oh yeah that's very simple um not a problem at all um yeah. but yeah that comes up to the manufacturing on orbit yeah it's no way could you send that up from here yeah. um in one piece and like you were saying before, how even if you could manufacture it here, how do you get it to survive the launch? Mm. This is something that needs to be manufactured on orbit. Yeah. It's funny, it does see it does seem that, you know, when I was watching sci-fi movies in the nineteen seventies, you'd watch something like two thousand and one and there was this lunar economy there and ships going from the earth to the moon and, and, and such. And it never really happened. And we always wondered, like, why has this never happened? Why was, why did Apollo just end? Why, why didn't we do it? It does seem like we're actually getting the momentum to actually do stuff and actually make this space economy happen. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's, there's so many things in the space economy. It's really exciting. Um, but I'm, I'm also waiting for my hoverboard. Okay. That's true, me too. Yeah. <laughs> Why you, listen, if Northrop Grumman can't make a blooming hoverboard, then there's no... They were too busy with the jetpacks. Yeah. <laughs> you must be able to, you know, crikey. Portia, what's the, what, you know, you're, it's all new and it's an exciting where you are. What's the most exciting thing? Like, what are you most looking forward to in the future? Is it sort of improving life on Earth or is it exploring the cosmos? It's definitely it? improving life on Earth and, and making sure that we don't, just go out and willy-nilly explore and you know launch 
cars into space for no reason. See, that's, <laughs> <You know>? yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, that's an interesting one. You know, reusable rockets, hey, that's pretty good. But Tesla's in space, I know, gets people's backs up. Yes, I mean, I think there's a middle ground. It's very inspirational. Um, exploration is always going to capture people's interest. Um, but there's so many things that we do in space that does benefit life on Earth that isn't necessarily immediately obvious that I think is perhaps often more important or more, I find that more interesting. Mm. And what I really want to do and be part of is making sure that we can continue to do all, use all space in all of the wonderful ways that we do now, not just to go and, okay, let's go and put some people on the moon. I mean, that that's great. There's going to be a lot of stuff that comes out of it, but what are the things that we can do that directly impact, you know, people here on Earth? That's a really good point. I mean, actually, you know, we talked about why did Apollo end? Well, because there wasn't enough coming back. You know, if you open up a trade route on Earth, whenever, in the 1600s, there needs to be a flow of trade. And if there's nothing coming back, then it's going to dry up pretty quickly, I suppose. In terms of exciting things, Alex, what about you? What's the kind of... I'm much more shallow. I'm very much... <laughs> um, it's more about the technology that's available and the structures that we can build. For me, that's what's going to open my eyes, is if I can be involved in manufacturing huge structures on orbit, whether it's the next James Webb on um, the far side of the moon. Are we already Fantastic. designing the next James Webb? I think we probably are, aren't yes. we? Yes. And it's going to be fully serviceable. I believe so. Amazing. Yeah, I'd be quite interested to get involved on that, if the UK can uh, get involved. David, what about yeah. you? What's your, uh, what's um, your well, thing I think, that you're most excited yeah, about? Coming back to in-orbit service and manufacturing, getting that market really going, that, you know, that every satellite does have a set of standards on it, so we can yeah. actually you know, really develop the market and make it more sustainable and make space far more accessible. And I think we're getting there, um, but we just need to take those steps forward as, a, as an industry and you know, get more people to understand it and, and why all those benefits from space really are, are real. We talked a little bit about collaboration, but obviously when you're dealing with new technologies, new ways of doing things, there has to be a degree of secrecy, I, I suppose, intellectual property. How cautious do we have to be in terms of the way that we work as as engineers i mean you know we have to be polite obviously and we have to be collaborative but also presumably we have to be a little bit cautious well it's like any business you know you want to keep your your secret secret so someone can't do it you know someone who might have more money than you mm. can't come and do it faster and and take your market share yeah it's intellectual property you know what you create from your head is is you want it to have value so yeah. and the way you keep value is by looking after it and then sharing it at the appropriate time. You don't share your you know, your super ideas with everybody on on day one because you know that's that's just not the way the world works. Some very good conversations you have with people who want to tell you about their idea, but we can't tell you exactly what it is, <laughs> what it does, or how much it costs, and how it's going to be made. I'm terrible <laughs> about that though, because I'm like, if I have a good idea, I want to tell everyone straight away I have this brilliant idea. The other question I keep coming back to in these sorts of discussions is how do we sell this idea? Because, it's, you know, if you talk to, talk to my mum about space, she, she's like, well, what are you talking about? How do we get across the idea that actually we can benefit so much, you know, life on Earth in so many different ways by manufacturing in space? How can we sell that concept to the general public beyond just, you know, people who work in the space industry? Because it's not very, people just don't know about it, I think. Uh, yeah, I agree. I, I think that there's a lot of things that we can make, as, as we've talked about earlier, that will benefit life on Earth. For example, pharmaceuticals mm. that you can't manufacture on Earth. But there's other things, you know, 
all of the things that we do in space, mostly they're done for a reason. And the point that in-orbit servicing and manufacturing gets across is doing these things more sustainably. So at the moment, there's a big focus on not having single-use plastics, for example. It's yeah. pretty equivalent to space. At the moment, satellites are designed to be single-use and they are left in effectively the ocean. They are single-use um, drinking straws. They are, exactly. So how can we design this to be repairable, to be serviceable. And that's where the servicing and manufacturing comes in. But we need to sell it as an idea. We need people to understand actually what we're doing and what, what's being planned, because I just don't think people yeah. really kind of... I mean, even now, I mean, so much information comes from space and we don't, we're not really aware of it. You know, weather forecasting, yeah. how deforestation's happening, you know, plastic in the oceans. Um, I've even heard, you know, tracking whale migration patterns. It, it's all done with space assets. Yeah. But we just sort of almost take it as a given you know, that we find out these things without saying, well, actually, it's coming from space. What we need is some kind of like podcast series <laughs> that discusses. <laughs> but, but also, you know, we mentioned politics. I think if you get the public behind you, then the politicians generally tend to follow as a rule. I think if we take away people's GPS, we'll get behind it. That's yeah. a good idea, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know about you guys, but I use my GPS to get my way here. Yeah, um, every day. <laughs> so for for space technology that we use and taken for granted, that is one of the biggest ones. If you take that away, I'll oh, back to reading road signs. <laughs> yeah. I don't think so. <laughs> I love road signs. I'm I love pull road over signs. on the side of the road yeah. and get the map out. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, your big map out. Yeah, that would be very good. Um, no, I'll stick to GPS. Okay, good. We're all excited, though. We're all excited about what we can build in space. Listen, guys, thank you so much for, for popping by and, and sharing your wisdom and sharing your knowledge and sharing your enthusiasm this it's been a, a great pleasure thank you thank you thank you very much thank you for your time thank you very much for listening thank you for your company to hear future episodes of in orbit be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app and to find out more about how space is empowering industries between episodes you can visit the catapult website or join them on twitter linkedin or facebook <laughs>